Welcome to the Early Stages Podcast, where we talk to makers early on in their journey of creating something new. Each episode, we dive into how they identified the opportunity they're trying to seize, how they came up with the idea they're building, and stories about their journey so far. The conversation for this episode is a great one. I talked with Davey, who's building Plexus, and it really will give you some new ideas and new ways to think about the possibilities of how we can connect with one another through the internet. Like always, we talk about who Davey and his co-founder are building for. 20-something-year-olds who are really thoughtful, maybe have just moved to big cities, maybe post-college. The opportunity that they're trying to take advantage of. We're making a social network where people connect through mutual thoughts, not mutual friends. How Plexus exists in its current form today. You speak about something that matters to you, and then you receive back a chorus of voices from real humans who have recorded voices in Plexus before. And some stories from his journey so far. You're listening to other human voices. Like, we sound like aliens, you know? But, like, it's sort of what the, like, world of digital networks has propelled us to do. Welcome back, everybody. And this week, we have Davey from Plexus joining us. Thanks for joining. Hey, Jackson. Good to be here. It's super awesome to be able to have you on the show. And dive into what you're building over at Plexus. And to start out with, what are you building at Plexus in one sentence? We're making a social network where people connect through mutual thoughts, not mutual friends. Super excited to dive into that. And so, but before we dive into the actual solution, what you're building, uh, I want to rewind a little bit, right? And get to know you, right? Like, what do you consider yourself like even outside of Plexus, right? Do you consider yourself an engineer, a founder, or how do you describe yourself? Yeah, I appreciate that question. Cause honestly, none of those things, like I, <laughs> I code, I, I founded a company technically, um, but I don't love the connotations of entrepreneurship or always, you know? And so I, I, I consider myself like someone who's trying to be an artist maybe. And what, what don't you like about like the connotations of entrepreneurship? I think the, the notion of trying to make a business before you know something that you actually care about doing is um, it feels, feels backwards to me. And it feels like um, I totally respect when people do it. And I, I think there's a lot of ambition and fun creativity that goes into business making generally, but I'm, um, it sort of also feels like it's what people do when they really bought into capitalist propaganda and when they're less in touch with like how they feel. Yeah. Yeah. I totally feel that. Right. Because like to put simply one of the things that drives me right is like, I just want to make things that people love. Right. Like trying to build those things. Right. And it's like, Oh, like as more and more as the real world hits, it's like, okay, there needs to be some type of financial engine or energy engine of some type to keep these ideas and these things going. So, so like the, that part is needed, but it's like, that's not why I want to do it. Right. It's like, I feel like a lot of the world online in the entrepreneurship world, it's about the business. It's about the model. It's about the finances where it's like, like, I like how you said artist, right? Because it's more about the thing I'm creating. And hopefully, if you make enough things, you'll find things that will, that you will create that will, people will love and be adopted and become. Yeah. Part of yeah, I, I think that's right. And I, I think generally, I mean, I, I feel like I, I respect anyone who, 
just trying to do anything sort of ambitious with their life. But um, yeah, yeah, I think I think a lot of people would benefit just from like paying attention to what what makes them inspired. Yeah. How have you tapped into that? Right, like what makes you feel inspired and how have you been able to identify that? Yeah. I mean, I think at a really basic level, it's like a, it's a privilege. It's like be, being in spaces where you have enough time or um, support or, or love from family or friends just to like, to be yourself, you know, and, and to sit back and ask yourself like self, what, what is it that like I want? Like, what, what is it that I'm feeling right now? You know, like, um, I think it's part of what happens when you have a psychologist as a mom. It's part of what happens when, like, you, I don't know, just have, like, really privileged education systems where, where you got to participate. When you have friends who push you outside your boxes. Um, and, yeah, when you have, like, notebooks filled to the brim and, and you pay attention to what's inside of them. Yeah. And I feel like there's a lot of themes in that that Plexus addresses. And so to dive into it a little bit more, who... Who is your audience, right? Who is Plexus for? Yeah, I think the second question resonates more. Who's Plexus for? I, I, I try not to um, think about the people we're serving as an audience always, because um, I think I think a lot of businesses do, and I and I respect that. And it's just a very particular dynamic where um, it implies there's a stage, and one person is sharing things, and other people are receiving. I think, like for us, um, we run like a pretty tight co-design process where we like. Uh, I don't know. So, so we're thinking a lot about our like our community and sort of what what they're offering, um, and sort of just trying to make space for what they offer, um, and and who they are. I think like really we, we want to make space for everyone to be themselves online. That's like sort of our goal. Um, but the particular people who we're starting with and who are in our networks and and have been testing out Plexus diligently are often twenty something year olds who are really thoughtful. Maybe have just moved to big cities. Maybe post college and um, seeking community and connection around not just their circumstance and their institutions, but like the things that they're thinking about and dealing with. Um, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of really thoughtful, loquacious 20-year-olds. And so it sounds like what motivates them, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what's motivating your audience is they want a community or more connections based off of their, I wouldn't even call it interests, right? But like their thoughts, is that how you would put it? Yeah, it could. I mean, we're, we're thinking about it in a very open-ended way, like about literally anything that's on your mind that you you would never share on Twitter because it's too unresolved or messy or, or human, but that you're actually thinking about and, and would benefit from connecting with the right people about. Um, and I, I think like with regard to what motivates them, I think there are a couple of things. There's like the negative sort of circumstances that exist right now online where the only things that people feel like they're able to share, the things that they can share with literally everyone they know, like their grandparents, their colleagues, their their teammates, like all at the same time, you know, that's what tweeting is. Um, and so I think there's a lot of frustration among people my age that they just feel depressed when they get off of their phones because they just spent all of this time being a consumer. And in real life and online, it feels shitty to be solely a consumer, you know, um, to be nodding along when someone else is speaking only, you know, to, to be scrolling and not thinking about what it is that's actually on your mind, you know. Um, that mindset is, is super shitty. And um, yeah, I, so I, I see lots of people feeling bad when they spend time online. And that's, that's a lot of like the negative feeling in, in the community that we're serving. The, the flip side is that there's a lot of wonder about what the internet could be if it were used meaningfully. Um, and so there's this like 
uh, double-edged sword where a lot of our community is frustrated with current social networks and really, really excited about the kind of meaningful connections that are possible with the right ones. Yeah, that's awesome to hear. And because I think usually like what the predominant like narrative or usually what I've seen online is that like, oh, we need our social graph to be able to follow us to every single platform, right? So our our moms, like our our uncles, our friends, our teammates, like we need to be able to be connected with them on every single platform, right? right? They need that needs to be transitive. No matter where we are connected, we have those connections. But I feel like what you're saying is the complete opposite. It's like, oh, we almost need more niche communities. We need more, we need specific connections for the specific thing we're trying to do at that time. We don't want this kind of like transitive community or social network that just follows us everywhere. Yeah. I mean, I think if you think about like the real life situation that these, like that followers, as you're describing it, mimic, it's like a situation when you're up on a stage and everyone you know is in the audience and like, and the things you're saying are through a megaphone, you know, like it's, it's like that situation. And when you think about it that way, it's super strange that like, that's what's become our default online. Um, and the flip side is that like, okay, so obviously we don't want to do that. Right. But the internet also makes possible extraordinary alternatives like that that wouldn't be possible in real life and the one that we're really interested in is like as opposed to having like set communities or already knowing the people who should hear the thing that you're thinking about what's possible now is that we can sort of make a community for you from scratch around the thing that you're thinking now and then have it dynamically evolve as you think new things you know like the, the notion of communities that have static membership where people are in or out is like like maybe the fundamental cause of like um, marginalization generally, and also is just so archaic given that most of the things that we're thinking about evolve in nuanced ways and don't have static membership with their groups, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's really awesome to think about being able to have your community or who you're interacting with dynamically change depending on what you're doing or thinking at the same time. Right. It's like, Oh, yeah. And that even trying to put that into like an analogy into how social media or just communication in general happens today, like doesn't make sense. Right. It's it really hard. is a new way to be. Yeah. I, I mean, it's almost like like the best analogy would just be if you had like a, a subreddit or a discord server or just group chat that was like was constantly changing with its membership, depending on to meet you where you are. You know, what we talk about every day, we reflect on this phrase, like a magic room where the right people thinking about the right things come in and out when those things are on your mind. You know, that, that's that's what we're trying to picture, even though it's sort of hard to picture because it's not physically possible, you know? Yeah, yeah. That is a really fun thing to imagine though, right? Because when you say that, it's like, yeah, I want that, right? It's like, I, like, I don't necessarily like want an audience, right? Like online, like I don't want that, but it's like, it's like what whenever I say like why I tweet or why I do these things, which is like so small, right? It's like I just want to have people to be able to talk with my ideas about. I just want people to like who care about the same things or are interested in the same things to be able to like interact with them, right? Yes. And and that's the perfect type of situation that you're describing. Yeah, it's funny that that's like the maybe the deepest value of her Twitter provides for people, and yet like. I mean, I, I think that's a wonderful piece of value. You know, it's um, yeah, it's weird that the platform isn't geared toward that entirely. Yeah, a hundred percent, right? And 
Yeah, because I feel like barely just, I said this a little bit before the interview, but like, it's like, I've, you always hear about like making internet friends, right? And like, I grew up with the internet, but just barely starting this podcast, I'm finally feeling like I'm meeting people who are my people, right? I'm finally making those connections. Like, so I've been on social media for a long time, right? And it's never delivered that. I'm finally getting what I want. And so those current systems aren't providing the connections and the conversations that I've wanted in the past. Right. I think there's something really fundamental there too, about how like, like there's this notion online that, you know, with, with feeds that you should just, you know, as if you, if you just get the right feed, if like, you just like let for you on Twitter do its thing, like you'll receive everything you need and you don't even have to worry about what saying what you want, you know? Um, mm -hmm. And I think it's like, it's such a, um, like sort of perverted way of looking at relationships. Like, I don't know of like a time in, in the rest of life when people feel like they're going to get what they want just by like sort of sitting, you know, like I, mm -hmm. I, there's this wonderful thing about like relationships where there's mutual giving and taking where like you're making a podcast and I, you know, I'm making something too. And so we, we can sort of share, like look at the synergy between those things, you know, and like, or, or just generally, I, I have a good friend who wrote a piece on, um, about mentors recently and why mentors are sometimes willing to, to mentor mentees, you know? And yeah. the idea is that a mentee isn't just someone who's receiving, they're also someone who's who's giving, like often a ton of youthful energy. And especially if they're compelling and if someone agrees to mentor them, it's because they have like, they're offering something up as well. And so this notion that like people will get what they want or, or get the things that are best for them long-term just by sitting and instead of by going out and, and sort of pu putting something out there is, um. I don't know. I, I think it's misguided, but but I think it's it's encouraged by a lot of the social networks we use, where it's like so drastic to post anything because you're posting to everyone you know. You know, like it, if it were more encouraged, like to make podcasts, you know, to, to to express your thoughts. If there were better spaces for people to do so, I just think like our relationships with with each other and with with so much of the world, which like I think people would be more optimistic about their lives. You know, totally, I agree, hundred percent. Right, because once you reach out and once you can connect with more people right? The predominant conversations online are like, usually like the outspoken, like few, right? They're like the fringe. It's, it's the radical, especially in today's world, right? Like, yeah. then once you go walk around your neighborhood, you're like, oh, yeah, like what I'm seeing online is not like the norm. That's not what the world is everywhere. Right. Right. But it's easy. It's easy to mistake the loud voices for the many. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And so with your journey with Plexus, how, how did you get to know the, the people that Plexus is for? Like, how did you get to know? I know I'm trying to not use the word audience. How did you get to know? Oh, that's fine. <laughs> community people. Yeah. The community of Plexus. Yeah. Um, I mean, honestly, the community is still nascent. And so we're still getting to know. It's not, a, not an ending process that's occurred. But um, the, uh, yeah, I mean, it's... Um, I think Plexus came out of an insight that I think is pretty basic and universal, which is that like people like want connection around the things they care about, you know? And I, I think anyone can probably look in their lives at their own life or at um, the other people in their life and see that like the, the best moments in, in any of those lives occur when those connections occur, you know? Um, and I think for me, this, this happened when I was um, most clearly when, when I was building this new kind of note-taking tool um, as a college student. And 
I was I was trying to make this tool that made connections automatically across scattered nodes. So sort of like Rome research, but automatic, if you know what that is. And um, that was cool. And it was like started to help students and researchers and some investors. And we started getting a little traction around that. But I, I just had a moment in my life where I, I saw all of these people around me, all of my friends who really were, were seeking connections. It just wasn't within their notebook necessarily. Like they, they weren't researchers. They're just normal people who were dealing with very particular things as everyone is and struggling sometimes with very particular things and feeling alone with those things. And when someone like that gets connected with someone who knows what they're going through, who, who's been through that before and like, or, or can relate to them, you know, can change the course of your month or your year or more. And I, I saw that play out with friends who had like mental health things, physical health things um, in their work and in their intellectual interests and in their relationships, like just all these weird particular experiences they felt alone with that then after the right connection, they no longer felt alone with. And I was like, holy shit, I'm not applying connection making technology in the right location. Like notebooks are fine. Researchers, yeah, it would be great if they were faster, but the big thing is it would be better if like people found these connections faster, you know, if people could get connected with each other rather than notes getting connected with each other. Um, and so that was sort of like some of the, the genesis or, or the, the starting energy. Yeah, it seems so obvious now as you're saying it, but it's like the only way you, you can or like the most predominant way you connect with somebody online is like you follow them, right? Or you become friends with them, right? And that's not how, that's not even how the physical world works, right? And so being able to not even like maybe mimic the physical world, but have a more organic way for us to connect with people. Like it, it seems so obvious now, but yeah, nobody's it's like, I mean, I think a lot of what we talk about is trying to help people connect through their like knowledge network rather than their social network. Um, and knowledge is a little bit, in my mind, too, like academic of a term. But like, like if you can just connect through the things that you're thinking about with someone, like there's such an electricity that is sparked immediately from the beginning, you know, whereas if I'm introduced to someone because I trust a friend. Yeah, I'll, I trust the friend, but like I'm going to be searching for the point of overlap that the friend might have seen, you know, like it's yeah. all about the point of overlap. It's not about anything else. And it's weird that um, I mean, it sort of makes sense. Like a lot of we have a lot of social technology as humans, just like that isn't digital, you know, just in terms of how we social network and like meet each other and and gather, you know, and like go to conferences, whatever. But like um, now that we have digital technology that can like now that computers can understand your words and mm -hmm. find people or find other sets of words that are really, really related. It's um, it just seems like we have a new path, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Did you did you start to try to like go after this opportunity? like before thinking about like AI or did AI kind of like help spark and like help you imagine this new type of possibility? Um, no, yeah, I wasn't, um, I guess the words AI sort of like became applied to the technology that we were using as we were doing it, but it wasn't like yeah. the, um, no, I mean, I was just thinking like, we were just using this awesome technology for connecting people, which at the time was called like, natural language processing, you know, and, uh, yeah. or for connecting notes actually. And, um, and then we just realized like, oh, that technology can connect people. And then people started talking all about AI and they're like, okay, yeah, this is AI. You know, this is what they're talking about. You know, these are like the embeddings that LLMs are making and they're all, you know, so like the terms evolved, but it wasn't, um, it was more like life circumstances that propelled me to attack in the people. Yeah. So you're working with natural processing, like natural language processing, and then you started to see the connections or the possibilities because you were familiar with that. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, sorry, it's, it's been the same technology the whole time. It's just that yeah, people totally. start to call different things. Totally perfect. And would you say people have tried to solve this before? Like, are there like even any competitors or? Yeah, it's a good question. It's um, I mean, I, I'm like slowly starting to meet like um, founders who are early who are like are starting to realize that this is the right ethos. I think. The big thing that's really hard is that when you're a normal company and, and your motive is profit maximization and the way that social media companies make money, the only proven way is by serving advertisers. You, you have a bit of a sticky situation where the thing that we're doing actually doesn't seem like it's going to be your business. Like it, it doesn't like most people would even right now, like would still not try to connect people to each other and try to make a social network where there's broad contribution or broad participation because uh, they just don't see the way that that's going to economically end up serving advertisers. And it actually makes sense. It, it won't, right? Because advertisers benefit when you're consuming, you know, like they, they're trying to sell products that you consume. And so a single-minded consumption mindset is, is exactly what a social network that serves advertisers needs to get you into, you know, like they need to get you scrolling. They need to get you in a place where you're scrolling past lots of potential products to buy. And then potentially you're at a place where you're able to click into some of them too, like where, where you're in that mindset, you know? And, um, Honestly, we, we want anything but that. We, we want you to be in a mindset where, yeah, you can like read other people's stuff and listen to them, but listen actively and then have, be really ready to contribute the thing that's actually on your mind and express yourself, you know? And when you're in a mode where you're expressing yourself, you're not as desperate to find things or buy things from other people. And so I think there's a big incentive structure issue, which is the reason that most people aren't pursuing this. The lucky thing in our case is that we're not a normal, normal company and we, we have some bets about the ways that incentive structures are about to change. But, um, but yeah, I, I don't think that's obvious. And I, I don't think it's, um, for most people, they don't think it's guaranteed either. Yeah. Yeah. Can you dive into that a little bit more? Like what is your structure and what are some of those bets? Yeah. So Plexus is a public benefit corporation. Um, we took venture funding because I think this is an enormous problem and we wanted to be, be able to hire like a world-class team. Um, but I was really worried about taking venture funding and needing to be a C-Corp, like a, a normal corporation, because mm -hmm. I, I had a hard time thinking that I could get up for like five, 10, 20 years every day and have my main motive at the bottom line legally be profit maximization. Like I just, just personally, like it, it feels like it would have been, that, that would have been a very hard thing for me. So I, I wasn't prepared to do that. I think when, when we um, released the note-taking tool, which started to be benefiting students and writers and, um, and then investors, we had a little bit of leverage and I heard about this new kind of corporate structure called the public benefit corporation, which mm -hmm. um, can make a profit, but which primarily has a public benefit statement that is the thing it's trying to maximize. And so we did that. And in our case, it's uh, just trying to maximize impact over profit. If they are married, if they're not in conflict, that's great. But if they're ever in conflict, we're always going to make decisions that prioritize impact. And um, they're definitely in conflict with when you're trying to get a profit from advertisers. And so we're never going to do that. Totally. Yeah. And with these benefit corps or B corps, their like revenue and profit is like very easily analyzed, right? Like if it's gone up or down, how are you guys thinking about impact like and measuring that and like increasing? It's actually, so there's some, not to go into too much of the weeds, but there's a distinction between a B Corp and a public benefit corporation. B Corp is yeah. usually a bigger company that um, chooses to get audited by a very specific like organization. I think it's called like the B, B Corp like board or something. Um, public benefit corporation is just a, is a 
company that has in its bylaws like that its purpose is to maximize its public benefit whatever it states it is but it doesn't for small companies it's a lot better because it means that you're not audited um by like by these outside forces we could still get sued by not doing um not, not honoring the things that are in our charter you know but um yeah but it for, for at least for now it's much more of a signaling thing as we take money from investors we got to make sure that they're on board and so we want to we tell them pretty explicitly hey we're a public benefit corporation when we're asking people to share you know to trust us to share vulnerably on plexus so that they can connect with other people and find meaningful connection we tell them we're a public benefit corporation and we expect them to hold hold us to that you know so at least for now it's um it's not something that we get audited around okay Perfect. Can you just describe what Plexus is right now? I love watching that you guys are iterating and doing so many things so quickly, but as of right now, what is the actual product of Plexus and where do you want it to go? Yeah. So Plexus is a, a new kind of social network where people connect through their thoughts. And the way that it works is um, there's the weird thing is there's no feed. Um, so when you open Plexus, you're met with a blank page or um, a button that asks you to record and there's usually a prompt like this week, it's what are you dreaming for? Um, last week, it was about reflections on where you live. Um, but you can you can say anything. And so you press record or you start typing, you can do audio or text. And you, you say something that's on your mind, something that you're thinking about, something that you want to find connection about, or just something that like you're feeling, you know, um, exactly the kind of thing that you would never share on Twitter, but that you actually are thinking, you know. Um, and when you do that, if you do it with your voice, it takes a second to transcribe what you said, to come up with a clever title that you can edit. And then immediately show you the most related thoughts that other people have posted in the community. And so in the context of voice, which is what we're experimenting with most recently, you speak about something that matters to you, and then you receive back a chorus of voices from real humans who have recorded voices in Flexus before speaking about related things. And then you have the opportunity, if any of those notes resonate or hit home with exactly the thing that you're talking about, to take action and reach out. Um, and so it's really simple. There's no feed. There's just a list of the things that you've recorded before and the things that the network detects as related to them. I know you've tried a bunch of different things with, with text, and now you're doing a lot of testing with audio, but how has your journey gone so far? What have been some of some of the ups and some of the downs as you're trying to take on this opportunity? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, um, it's been really fun. We, we've spent a lot of time, like a, a few months, um, coming up with different interfaces for connecting people through their thoughts, because the technology is, is incredible. Um, and, we have a bunch of clever things that we've built to do that really well. And so it's really been a question of like, what, what, what is the best experience to let people dive into this world of human expression? You know, like what, what is the best way to share or like express what's on your mind, you know, and then what is the best way to receive what's on other people's minds? And then what's the best way to interact from there? And so each of those decision points has been like uh, responsible for a ton of iterations on our end and different versions of Plexus. Um, the very first like communal version of Plexus that we made as an open social network was a kind of like Tinder for ideas where you'd type something that was on your mind, you'd see suggestions from the network, and then you'd be able to reach out to those people and get into a one-on-one -on -one chat room with them. Um, that was pretty successful and people started to like that, but um, we, we felt like it was pretty limited in terms of what was possible with the network. And so we iterated from there to enable like, after you find these thought connections to sort of enable you to reply in sort of like a semi-public thread so that it was really comparable to Twitter. We call that version, version better Twitter. and. Um, and that, that, that started to get some traction too. And people were like replying to each other back and forth um, after they found these like uncanny connections between their thoughts. Um, but, but we realized there that like we were, we were trying to play by the sort of manual too closely. And it's a product that should be built. It probably will be, but um, it's, uh, we want it to be more creative and lean, 
more away from like what was familiar with Twitter and more into what actually this medium can enable. Um, and so we've been doing a couple different experiments since then, but the thing that we're locked in on now um, and that we just realized is enormously powerful is what it feels like to speak about something that's on your mind and then hear real voices back. Um, in an age of like social networks where you see more and more promotional content and where AI co generated content is about to flood like every, every seam, um, being able to hear like speak and then hear a real human voice talking about a related experience come back to you is something that um, we think like ChatGPT will have a hard time doing that like other social networks might have a hard time doing, but is the most fundamentally human thing that we can think of and, and have experimented with. And so um, that, that's the emphasis of our current platform. And we're, we're getting ready to just sort of like make it more reliable and share it with a lot more people. I had logged back on to Plexus before the interview to see the updates that you had done. And it was the first time I decided to do a voice one. Oh, yeah. And it was so interesting because the other ones I had done had just been text and like forcing myself to like say it out loud. It like made me think through it more and right. And you get so subconscious usually about your voice and like saying things, especially while communicating online, you're just used to texting. And so it was super cool to, as like, I was thinking about what I was saying in a different way than I would have been writing it, which was like a fun thing to see. And then, yeah, like you were saying, like listening to other humans and like what they were saying, it was like a really, it was weird because it felt novel, even though it was just listening to right. <laughs> other humans speak. It's crazy, like, right? like, it's, it's crazy how novel it feels, right? Because it's like yeah. you, like we shouldn't need to say <laughs> you're listening to other human voices. Like we sound like aliens, you know, but like, it's sort of what the like world of digital networks has propelled us to do. Like, like there's just such this expectation that you're going to be met with robotic voices or voices that don't represent single individuals or many individuals. And in a lot of cases, that's cool. But in a place that people go to find social connection, social networks, it's really strange to me that this hasn't happened before. You know, and I, I really think it's a product maybe of incentive structures and other things. But yeah, it's it's um, I don't know. I, I'm glad that you had that experience. We, we, we've been struck by it, too. Yeah. And I think. I don't know, at least with my experience from it, right? I think maybe some of that came from for me and was like the vulnerability, like being vulnerable, right? Because like, even like growing up with the internet, it's like, oh, don't talk to anybody. Like strangers, like don't, you're, you're always so guarded. Like when you're going to share anything online, they're like, okay, I need to put my best foot forward, right? And because it is, you can be anonymous on Plexus, right? It's like, oh, I can say whatever, like, like I'm totally free to actually say what I want, which like what you've said before, like, I don't feel like there's a public forum to truly do that, right? right? And I think that was something that struck me from like the voices too, right? It's like, not only is it hearing like a human voice, but like how vulnerable, right? It's this stranger I've never met. I don't even know who they are, but they're talking about like, Oh, what are their dreams? What do they hope for? Right? Like one of the most vulnerable, like things that like you're, even when you meet people in real life, you don't usually get like that deep into a conversation. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's like, fun. it's so, it's so good. Yeah. It's, um, no, we're, we're, we're really excited about it. That's awesome. And with all these different versions of Plexus that you've had, um, how have my like members of your community reacted to them? Yeah, 
So, I mean, we, we had a lot of the very first version that was like the idea Tinder um, was probably the most community members that we had active. And uh, people liked that one. That was like more appealing to a broad audience. But then we realized that like it just wasn't the highest potential way that we could build. Um, and so people were sort of upset when we switched away from that. But we just realized from our perspective, we're going to be doing this for the next. I'm thinking about, you know, I'm not thinking about this like a normal company. Like I, I would like to build a human community that lasts for like decades, you know? And so like, I, I'm going to do this for a very long time. I need to build something that like I'm really excited about, you know, like at, at a fundamental level and just connecting people in one-on-one -on -one chats was great, but it wasn't the thing I was really excited about. Um, so people like uh, we, we've had like different groups of people who have used different versions of Plexus. I think the, the reception to voices has been pretty like unanimously positive. When people have had that experience, at the worst, people think it's really strange to hear back human voices that are real yeah. after they that talk about related things, you know, and at best, people think it's magical, you know, because it's like you dropping on a conversation that like you really want to be in and then you can be, you know, and it's mm -hmm. uh, and so we're building the parts now to like try to figure out how to let you what the best action is to take once you find that you have a really resonant voice connection with someone, you know, when you hear someone talk about something and you're like, damn, I got to get into a conversation with you. We're trying to figure out the best format for that to take. Um, but but this initial experience of, of like hearing people's voices talk about related things back at you has been um it's it's yeah it hasn't just been our instinct like it's, it's been the most unanimously positively received thing that we've done so far and so um we're, we're, we're sort of excited like we, we have many more ideas for ways to make plexus feel more like a world than a tool but for now we just want to release this magic to as many people as possible yeah i feel like to me it has some of the magic of ai but human right because like the magic of chat GPT is like, you can say anything and it's going to respond to you back, right? Yes. Like what you're saying, but this is like the human version of it where it's like, oh, I can say whatever I want, but I hear actual humans. So it's like the magic of AI stacked with the magic of humans, right? So totally. Yeah. I mean, what we think about is like, like there's going to be super intelligence pretty soon. If you don't consider GPT for that already, like yeah. um, it's going to be amazing capabilities. But like, insofar as we're going to care about people or continue to, like being able to experience someone's idiosyncrasies, like the weird particular things that make them them, pe people are really good at detecting whether people are being real or not. You know, like that's like, it's one of the core things that we're good at. You know, it's like, it's the reason why when you like grow up after being a kid and you're watching movies, like it's hard to watch a movie if someone's not acting in a good way. You know, like, like people are so sensitive to sincerity and I think we realize that that's true. We realize that's really important. And we're trying to give people a way, yeah, through AI to make the connections, but give people a way to get as quickly as possible via our most avail advanced available technology to other people, you know, to, to like yeah. existing other voices ra rather than to generated other voices. Because I I'm just really worried about a world where everything's generated around us and we stop learning how to be grateful for the things that already exist. Um, yeah. That's part of it. I think one of the last questions I have for you is, is like why why do you care about this right like why are you building plexus why do you care about being able to create this magic room for people to to be in yeah it's a really good question i feel like i mean i i guess i've answered a little bit at like a macro scale why i think it's important for the world like i, I think yeah I, I can just say that like on that level i, I think that the internet is only going to become a bigger part of our lives and if things trend as they do currently we are going to become a smaller part of the internet like we're going to continue to be consumers and be scrolling more than we're contributing and businesses and influencers will be the only people who are really like sharing and distributing content that the rest of us are coordinated by. 
Um, and that's a really scary future because not just because it sounds dystopian, but because it also just means depression for hundreds and thousands of people and lots and lots of people. You know, it, it means that like the core things that make us happy are no longer part of us. Um, so that's really scary to me. Um, and I think the flip side is that a, th there's the opportunity for an Internet if we get the right spaces where each of us can express the parts of ourselves that we care about the most, you know, like each of us can express the parts of ourselves that we identify with, that we feel like are core to who we are and what we're thinking about, you know? And so um, I think that that's sort of like the macro level. Like I, I really want the internet to be a space where people can be themselves. Um, I think at a much more micro level, like personally and sort of like personality quirk is just my favorite thing in the world is when people are being mischievous and like, and when people are just like, have a look in their eyes, where you know they see something that they're not saying, you know, like, you, you know, there's so much more inside of them than will ever be apparent. And, and where people recognize that in you, where people know that there's so much more that you're seeing than will ever be available or no, you know, and it's, it's a kind of faith, you know, it's a kind of faith in other people and in yourself. And it's the kind of faith that like motivates me in my life, you know, that like, I just think like, I look around the world and I, I look for mischief. I look at this difference between the things that are in people's heads and the things that they're able to communicate. And I want people to feel like they can honor and and just even recognize that there is so much more in their heads than they're able to share right now. Um, and so at a personal level, it's like what drives a lot of my friendships. It, what like it, it's, it's like the, the most exciting thing to me. Um, and so that's sort of, I guess, another reason. I'm so glad that we were be, we were able to connect. Right. I think, it's super fun. You are definitely in the early stages of Plexus and I, I can tell it's going to go far. And so I'm super excited to be able to follow along with not only your journey, but the journey of everybody else on Plexus and where, where the platform grows to be. Um, were there, yeah. were there any questions that you wish I would have asked or any other things that you wanted to share? Um, no, I just, I, I actually think the timing of this call is pretty, um, exceptional in some ways just for us because we've been like researching and iterating on different interfaces for a long time it's really just in the past couple of weeks that we feel like we've stumbled upon something that's simple and deep enough that we really want to share it with lots of people and so the next few weeks might look a lot different for plexus and um i don't know it's just cool to be able to talk about that before that occurs that's perfect well i'm glad i can be a small little part of of that journey and yeah, so thank you jackson thoughtful questions yeah. i no, thank you for coming on. And where can people find you and Plexus? Um, so people can find Plexus at Plexus.Earth. There's currently no wait list. We'll probably change that um, soon. But for now, you can just access it. Um, you can you can share your voice, get voices back, and see what I'm talking about. Um, I can also uh, you can also access our writing on Substack, Plexus.Substack.com, P-L-E-X-U-S, and Ironically, we're also on Twitter. So I, I'm Davey underscore Morse on Twitter, D-A-V-E-Y underscore Morse, like Morse code. And then Plexus is Plexus Earth on Twitter. Um, it's still a good place to communicate and, and get the message out to people. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thanks again for joining and excited to see where it goes and we'll talk soon. Yeah, sounds good, Jackson. Thank you. Next week on the Early Stages podcast, in this episode, I talked to Brad, who's making Ready to Send, and it was a really fun conversation because he's making a product um, based off of AI that's actually useful today. Right? A lot of AI products, I feel like, are promising and they'll be useful in the future, but he has something that's useful today that you can use. And we talk about who Ready to Send is for. Anyone that really kind of has an inbox issue. The problem he's trying to solve. 
with all the kind of new AI tools and advancements, it just seems logical that um, something could go in there and generate a response. How ready to send works today? Ready to send uh, auto generates personalized email replies for Gmail. And some of the interesting experiences he's had while building with AI. I have it installed. Uh, my wife has it installed as well. So <laughs> you can kind of see where this is going.